So just before we start, just want to introduce myself. My name is Leonard. Um, I'm one of the elders here, and it's amazing to see a full house in here. It really is. It's yeah. It's incredible to see just the, especially this 4 p.m. group. How much things have changed over the last couple of months. Those of you who've only been here a short while would have know, You won't know this, but we. How long ago did we go to two services? Hey. 20, no, no, no. <laughs> hey? 3rd of April, so April, May, June, July, August, September. So we've been doing this for six months, and it's been just amazing to see the growth and the life and how God has been doing different things in the, in the different services. Uh, but tonight, before I'm going to share something, then I'm going to pray, then I'm going to start with my message. But just, uh, this is my pre-preach preach, is what you call it. It's important because... You know, the question we ask is, why do, we, why do we share messages on a Sunday? Why do we actually do it? Um, and we all come out of different churches where there's various reasons and various answers for why someone would stand in front and give a message to a Sunday. And I know there's some churches who would go through a book of the Bible for a couple of months. There's some churches who would put out a curriculum for the entire year and say, this is what we want to speak about for the entire year. But I really believe that when we stand here, this is a place where God speaks to a specific group of people. No, the Bible is for all of us. It's applicable to, to all of us. If you want to hear God's voice, you open the Bible and you hear His voice, right? But sometimes to hear God's voice into your situation, God takes the Bible and within the, in the confines of the Bible, He speaks to you about specific things. And when I look at the Bible, when I see how Paul wrote to different churches, how Peter wrote to different churches, he wasn't only going through Isaiah in the Old Testament and said, let me explain to you what Isaiah said. He said, no, I know you. Paul mentioned the people by name. He said, send my love to this person and that person and that person. He said, thank you that when I was there, I was able to do this. He said, please, please send my cloak. Please send my parchment. He had a relationship with the people. And out of relationship and out of hearing the Lord, he was able to speak directly into that group of people, into that local church. So I believe what we do when we stand here is we say, God, what are you saying to us as a local church? And if you're part of this thing, if you're part of this church, and you are added by God, because you can just be a consumer here, you can just come to church on a Sunday, but that's not the same as being added by God. I don't believe it is. You know, the Bible says that when they got saved in Acts 2, those people who got saved were added to the church. The Bible says there was added to their number daily, those who were being saved. And so it is a good question, am I added here? Because if you are added here, then this is a message specifically applicable to you as God speaks. And over this 412 conference, I really learned a lot um, from Andrew on just being led by the Spirit and allowing God to speak into a specific context. I'll give you a little bit of a, a heads up on what happened. So recently, I, I, I got invited to be part of the preaching squad for the 412 conference, which I nearly fell on my back because it's 3,800 people. And I thought that's a lot. That's quite scary. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I was invited to send a couple of scriptures or a couple of just whatever message I had on my heart for the conference. And so I sent two messages, and uh, I submitted it. And I really learned so much from Andrew Sely, who leads Josh Chen and leads the 412 uh, field of churches. Learned a lot from him. He said, be ready, but we're going to hear the Lord on what to speak about. And so while all of you were enjoying the conference, I was, I was shivering in my boots the whole time because I thought, 
I need to be go, go up and speak in front of 3,800 people at any time. I need to be ready. And you know, that gives you a dependency on God, actually. I believe we can't be a people that's, like, I don't know about you, but I can't hear God for what He's going to do in a year's time. Many times, not even in a month's time. Many times, not even in a week's time. And so we need to be a dependent people and actually say, God, what are you saying to us? And so this is actually one of those moments. So that's why I'm taking it before the message as a teaching moment for us. Henry was supposed to preach. He had a message ready, and until five minutes ago, he was ready to preach. <laughs> and as the prophetic words came out, I just felt like there was actually something on my heart that I was not able to prepare for um, just because of a really busy time this last while that I felt like, shucks, God, I think I was actually maybe disobedient. I think that is what you wanted to say. But now I didn't prepare. <laughs> so now what? Um, but I went to Henry and I said, listen, I, I feel like I know what he's going to speak about. It would have been a good message. It's, it's actually, my wife doesn't even know that I'm, <laughs> I was just helping her five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago, and now I'm up here preaching. But, um, but his message would have been good. It, it was, it was going to be on a love for the Word of God, a love for the Bible. And we would have gone through Psalm 1 together and you're going to have to go have coffee with him if you want to hear that message, and we'll maybe let him share that another time, because it is going to be good. But I, no, don't be disappointed. <laughs> be happy, because I really feel like when we come into church and there are six, seven, eight prophetic words that are in the same vein, I believe that, that we should stand still and say, my sensor is up. My spidey sense is tingling. <laughs> God wants to speak. <laughs> God wants to speak, and so we're willing to overthrow everything because that's the type of church that we want to be. We want to be a spirit-led church. Overthrow everything, and if the message comes out wonky, whatever, whatever, it can't be that bad. I'm going to read from the Bible. It can't be that bad. <laughs> then whatever. We are people who flow with the Holy Spirit. We go where He goes. We do what He, he wants to do. Amen. We need to commit ourselves to that. So let's, uh, let's pray. God, we commit ourselves to your word, Lord. We thank you, I thank you for every person that you've added to this church, added to this local church, God. And I pray, Lord, I do pray for myself even now, Lord, as I'm about to speak and I'm not even still sure what I'm going to say. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would, through a broken vessel this afternoon, that you would come and speak into your people's hearts, Lord. I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you that you are faithful to speak. Lord, I thank you that it isn't my words, Lord. It's your word, Lord. We take the Bible, and you breathe on the Bible. You breathe on your living word, and I pray that it would become that. It would become your living word tonight as we sit here. Your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I did give Neil in the scriptures. Well, I'm gonna, what I want to do is I want to go through a portion in James 2 this afternoon. Maybe jump around to a few places. I did ask, I quickly asked him to prepare John 15 and maybe Ephesians 2, if you can get that ready at some point as well. But I, you know, let me, let me start by telling you this story quickly. This mic is going on and off, eh? Is it just me? Is it fine? All right. This, uh, a couple of years ago, I've got this friend. He leads the Bonnyvale Josh Chen. His name is Christopher Spot. Those of you who know him, he's a lovely guy. And there's a couple of things he really loves in life. He loves to cycle. He loves to be with his family. He loves to be with his friends. He loves to eat. Like, really loves to eat. When he comes over to my wife and I, my wife always feels like the best cook because Spot, Christopher, he sucks in everything that he can. You hear him eating. It's like, mmm, mmm, mmm. Anyone else eats like that? 
you know those people, they just, they just love eating. It's like you want to make food for them because they are the best people to make food for because you feel so appreciated and so loved. The road to Spot's heart is genuinely through his stomach, that I can say, because I've seen it. <laughs> and when I was in my first year, so I'm not as skinny as I was anymore. I, I weighed 64 kilograms. I remember that distinctly. <laughs> From when I was about 15 years old up until I was about 22 years old, I could not go up or down from 64 kilograms. It's, it's only when I started running it went down, so I stopped running immediately. I was like, <laughs> I can't be skinnier. I need to find a wife. I need to bulk up a little bit. I, <laughs> anyway, but, but Christopher and I, this friend of mine, we, we were invited to a birthday party, a girl called Ingrid Hall. She's a worship leader. They're releasing an album now soon, which we're gonna, we'll send it out to you guys. It's going to be brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. But Ingrid Hall had this, um, had this birthday party. Now you can imagine we are two first years. I'm 64 kilograms, which means I'm constantly hungry, constantly. I don't pick up weight, but I can eat a lot, and I'm really angry. And my friend Christopher, he, he shouldn't pick up more weight, but he loves to eat, right? <laughs> At that stage especially. <laughs> so we go to this birthday party, and he comes out of res, out of the hostel at school, him. And there you have to eat really quickly to get your next portion of food. Otherwise, everyone eats it. So we're sitting there eating pizza, and he is just putting in pizza after pizza. I'd like to say, you can down a cold drink, but I saw someone downing pizza that day. <laughs> he was literally downing pizzas as we were sitting there. And eventually I'm like, no, you can't do any more. And he just, he keeps on going. He's like, I, I feel like I'm going to puke. I can't take it anymore. He eats. And we walk back to our residence, our hostel where we're living. And as we get to the gate, Spot says, mm, 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 and he just pukes in the bush right by the hostel and I think that is that is so bad I'm like surely you've learned, learned your lesson here because you you had this amazing pizza now you have nothing <laughs> you wasted all of her money you wasted everything now you have to go eat again because you've got nothing left in your stomach <laughs> just horrible so you'd think that the guy learned his lesson a couple of weeks later we go to Panerotti's I don't know if that still exists all you can eat pizza on a Thursday evening does it still exist I don't know, I'm getting mixed signals here. Okay, it, it used to be a thing that we did. We go there, and this guy is downing pizzas again. And I'm like, surely this time he knows when to stop. Because <laughs> your body needs time to digest it. And at one stage, Spot is like, and he goes to the bathroom and he throws up again. And I think, this time you didn't waste money, just come back and eat again. <laughs> it's all you can eat, you can fill up your tummy. But you know what? There was actually a valuable lesson, which is something I feel on my heart for us as a congregation this afternoon, is if you consume, 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 but you do not use what you've consumed, eventually you're going to lose what you had. And I really felt like God was speaking to us as a church, saying, you are getting a lot. You are being fed. Every single Sunday when you come here, you're getting fed. When you go to community, you're getting fed. Those of you who have been to the conference, amen, I am full after the conference, spiritually full. Am I right? I feel full. I feel like God has really spoken so much that I don't know what to do with all of those things. And I feel there's a danger for us. And I want to say it as a stark warning from God to us this afternoon. If you do not use what God has given to you, you are going to lose it. You're going to lose it. It's not good for you. 
We cannot be Christians that only consume. We need to be Christians that apply and use what God has given to us. And I believe that this is something that the Bible teaches us about and it warns us about. I'll get to some of the warnings because it's actually, it is really a, a difficult thing. And, and you know, I think there's, a, there's a, a misunderstanding of the gospel that has crept into us a little bit. And so I'm hoping to rectify some of that misunderstanding to us. So here's the thing. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 8. I've taught this a lot, but I, I want to give it a little bit of a, a different spin. This is, this is how we, we see the gospel. The gospel taught to us, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is, this is the gospel that's taught to us. You just receive. Just believe. And to a large extent, it's right, but it's not the full truth. And we're going to get to that because I want to back this out of the Bible. But this, that is not the full truth. You know how... Um, you know how error comes into the church? It comes in by a partial truth. That's how it comes into the church. The devil does not masquerade as a guy in a red suit with a tail and a, and a tongue that's going to come and poke you. That's not how the, the devil comes. The devil actually comes as an angel of light. And so when the devil is going to come and deceive you, he's going to bring you half a truth. And he's going to bring error into that half a truth. And if we don't understand the gospel correctly... And not even correctly, if we don't understand grace correctly and we don't understand it fully, we don't understand the full gospel, we are going to fall off the bandwagon by only understanding a partial gospel. Now the gospel starts like this, nothing, nothing, nothing you can do can earn salvation for you. Nothing. Sort of. <laughs> because the Bible teaches us that as salvation comes to you, something in you changes and you also start to do. And it's almost like the Bible teaches us, you know, I think I might, might have, I just saw it while I was sitting there, I saw it for the first time, I'm like, shucks, I don't think I understand this thing correctly. I think it's not, you get saved and then you start working, I think those two things are literally like one thing. You start doing as you have faith, and as you have faith and works, you get saved. It sounds like heresy, I'm even, even me saying it now, it sounds like heresy, but I'm going to get to the Bible now. You see, we, we, we come with the gospel, the half-truth, the first steps of the Bible that says you are saved by faith alone, which is totally true. You can't do anything. I said it last time. I must get that word again. A, a boy, a boy, a life boy. It's that circly, floaty thing that gets thrown in the ocean. The gospel is that God said, I see that you are drown, drowning. I see that you're drowning in your sin. I throw out something that can save you, this floaty thing called a life boy. All you need to do is grab onto it and I will save you. But I want to say that's only part of the truth. And if that's the only part of the gospel that we grab onto, you know what that's going to do in us? It's going to lead to licentiousness. Licentiousness means, ah, oh, but if that's so easy, then it's fine. I can sin. I can go to a conference. I can listen. I'm under grace. I can hear a message on a Sunday and I can go on and I can still sleep with my girlfriend. I'm under grace. I can read something in the Bible and I can be convicted by it, but actually, you know what? I'm not under condemnation, so I'm just going to carry on living my life because I'm under grace. That is not grace. That is a false grace. It's not full grace. Full grace, true grace says, I'm totally forgiven. Now, God, I want to give everything to you. That's what true grace says. It says, I'm washed over so much by the forgiveness and the love of God that I cannot not live for him. 
I cannot actually, as Paul says, beat my body into subjection because I want to live out the grace that God has given to me. That's true grace. In fact, um, Romans, Romans 6, you don't have to put it up. I'm just qu- quickly going to go there. So I'll know your bookmark is 8. Um, Romans 6, and I'm, I'm hoping I've got this right. Um, Romans 6, Paul is speaking about the fact that we all in sin, but it's the grace of God that saves us. But then actually, in Romans 6, he says the following, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul's speaking to people and he's saying, you haven't heard the full gospel yet. If your gospel says to you, wow, that is such good news, does that mean I can now sin so that grace may abound? Because as I sin, this Bible says that grace covers over my sin. And Paul is about to say, no ways, that's not true grace, that's only a part of grace. And somewhere in your journey, you do need to get there. The great preacher, man, what's the guy that preached for like 99 years on Romans? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he just preached forever on the book of Romans. He said, as a Christian, if you never ask the question, this gospel is such good news, does that mean I can do anything now? Then he says, you haven't heard the full, the true gospel. The true gospel, the death of Jesus sounds scandalous. It says, Jesus, you took my sin upon your shoulders. You say all that I need to do is believe. You say all I need to do is give my life to you and you will change me, you'll transform me. Is that it? It needs to get there. But then Paul says, don't stop there. Take the next step. Does it mean that I should sin so that grace may abound? Listen to what he says. By no means. It's got an exclamation mark, so he's shouting. He says, by no means. That's not the truth. How can we who die to sin still live in it? So he's answering. He says, that's the first part of the gospel, but now you need to understand that you have died to sin. When Jesus died on that cross, it was for your sin with a small letter, meaning the things that you did, but sin with a capital letter, meaning your sinful nature. He died for all of it, and he makes you a new person. You have died to sin, meaning you need to start living differently, meaning you cannot just eat. You need to do something with what you've eaten. You cannot just read the Bible. You have to apply the Bible. You cannot just come to a Sunday and listen and be a partaker. You need to do it, be a doer of the word as well. Let's go to James 2. You can open up your Bible. I'm probably just going to go through this part, or we're going to put it up there. But I'm going to start in, in verse 14. And I'm mainly just going to go through this. I, I don't think I'm going to even take long, because I want to let the Bible speak to us tonight, actually. Let the Bible speak. You know, uh, let me first read this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, he includes sisters there, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? You know, a partial gospel will say yes. I mean, what would your answer be? Can faith save you? Like, to be honest, I would say, yes, faith, faith saves me, you know, and I've got this quib that says, um, we're not saved by faith alone, it's an old Roman Catholic thing, but we are sa- the faith that saves is never alone, wait, now I'm forgetting my own little thing here, um, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone, should I say it again, <laughs> just to redeem myself, 
You are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And I would say, yes, sure, the Bible teaches us we are saved by faith alone. But again, the Bible, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible has truth in tension. It's not contradictory. It's tension. There's a difference. You will read things in the Bible, 1 John, for example, and I'm going to get back to this now, that says, if you carry on sinning after you've been saved, amen, don't think you're saved. Basically what it says. Then a couple of verses later, it says to us, none of you can say that you don't have sin. What's that? Is that him contradicting himself? Once he's saying you can't sin, and the other one he's saying, but all of us sin. It's not contradicting, it's tension. Are you getting me? There's tension in the Bible, actually. And so the Bible teaches us, yes, you are saved by faith alone, but now the rest of the truth, the tension that comes in, it says, no, 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 it's not only faith. It's a type of faith that, that immediately leads to a life that is differently lived. If you are not obeying God, you need to check whether you're saved, actually. If there's not a desire in you to be obedient to God, I'm not saying to come to church. To come to church, can, you can come to church and not have God. Now, there are thousands of churches in South Africa full of people, I believe. And this is not to judge. We'll speak about judgment now in a moment. That go to church but do not have God. Because they are, in a bad sense, religious. They follow God because someone said it at the conference, because I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian, surely. Surely I'm a Christian. I was brought up to go to church. But if you don't have a desire to also apply, to also live out, then you need to ask yourself, am I saved? And if you are saved, you need to say, am I a lukewarm Christian? Because the Bible says that if you're lukewarm, God does not like it. You will spit your eyes. I mean, there's a couple of warnings for us. If we do not heed, if we do not bear fruit, every Christian needs to bear fruit. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me explain what he says here. If you go out and you preach the gospel to someone, but they have a physical need that makes it difficult to listen. To, he's using it as an example. He's not saying this is the only thing. That makes it difficult for them to listen to you because they may be too hungry to listen to you. He's saying then you should feed that person. He's actually, he's using it as an illustration to say your deeds and your faith, your preaching of the gospel go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. As you separate the one, you miss the other. If you say, I'm only going to preach to you, but you're sitting there and your stomach's growling, my preaching is not going to be effective. Saying the gospel would not take root if you don't combine faith and deeds together. However, if I only give you food, and some of us fall into this trap, the, the church is a food scheme in a sense. We're there to make the world a better place. We are not there to make the world a better place. We're not there to feed the multitudes. That's not the goal of the church. The goal of the church is to see lost souls being saved. If we give food, if we help the poor, it is always a means of discipleship. It is always a means of, of having something to carry the gospel to a person. We're not called to just be these good people. Someone can go to hell with a full stomach. Us just feeding the world is not going to send people to heaven. But when you get the illustration that Paul is trying to make here, right? He's just making it an illustration. I don't feel I'm explaining it well enough. So, uh, sorry, I, I'm, I need to eat it here. Okay. <laughs> Stand up, Nico. 
Nico's hungry. I want to preach the gospel to him because I feel like if I'm going to preach the gospel to him, again, it's not, it's not me that saves the person. As I preach the gospel, God breathes onto my words. The Bible says that there's like a light that can go on in, in Nico's heart. So I don't save him. God's, through my words, God can save him. That makes sense, right? Now, I want, to, I want to speak to him. I want to see salvation. That is the end, right? Now, I've got two ways of going about this. I can go the faith way or I can go the works way, Okay? Many of us were taught only the faith way. It's just an illustration. If I only go the faith way, I say, hey, Nico, Jesus loves you, man. He died on a cross for you. He died for your sin. If I only have faith, it's ineffective because the guy's hungry. He's like, oh, I'm so hungry. Is Jesus going to give me food? I know he's the bread of life, but I'm not feeling the bread of life here. I know he's the living water, but I'm feeling thirsty. You know, it's like that. If I go only works, only deeds, and I say, hey man, here's, here's food and I love you. And I'm like, I'm hoping that by giving him deeds, he's going to know that God loves him. Now, Jonathan Conrad told this funny story. He said, there's people who did this. They thought just by their deeds, they're going to show someone the gospel. You now, there's this silly thing where people say, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Lie. <laughs> Lie. It's nonsense. So what I do is, man, I'm just going to give you food. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you the love of Jesus by giving you food because I know. And Jonathan Conrad said people did that. And then at the end, the people came to their door and said, yo, you know, I've been look, we've been looking at your life. They, they did this for months with their neighbors. Like, we've been looking at your life and we just feel like there's something different about you. I asked, are you guys vegan? <laughs> <laughs> You know, we think that's going to work. What Paul is trying to say is, no, faith and works together is what brings the power of God. That is the power of salvation. He's not actually speaking about food. He's not actually speaking directly about feeding the hungry. That's not his point. He's saying faith and works come together, and that brings the power of the gospel. How is that in your life? Are you leaning towards faith? Because if you are, I'm telling you, you're going to be like Spot. You're going to lose what God has deposited in you. You're not going to walk in the things that God has, has for you. Or you're going to the other way where you're just living as a Christian, but actually there's no faith. No, those two things need to come together. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So it's this like, hey, I've got the one, you've got the other. And he says, show me faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's basically again advocating for, hey man, you can't, you can't show me by your works, that, uh, by, by your faith, that you are saved. I'll show you, hey guys, I'm saved, look at my faith. <laughs> can't you see that I'm a Christian? Huh? <laughs> can't you see it? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I would say everyone, when I walked in here this afternoon, everyone asked if I was tired, but it's just hay fever, so I don't look like, I'm not portraying Jesus at the moment, right? Can't you see that I'm a Christian? Paul is saying, are you silly? I can't. I can only see that you're a Christian by how you live. Only by how you live. Here's the thing. We say, hey, don't judge me. Hey, you come into, you come into class, you speak to someone about Jesus, and they say, only God can judge me. I'm like, oh, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Rather let me judge you now than God judge you then. Because if I judge you now and you change and you do something about it, better for you than standing before the judgment of God because He's not the God that you think He is. He's not the one that only wants your faith and you can live your own life as you want. He's the one that wants your faith and action together. 
And the only people who say that are those who think, hey, but I've got faith. I'm a Christian. I go to Bible. I go to, to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I'm a Christian. No, but I can't see it in your life. Don't judge me, bro. Don't do that. No, actually, actually I should. Actually, the Bible teaches that I should. I shouldn't judge you by being more lofty and being lofty and saying, oh, I look down on you. No, that's the judgment that the Bible warns us against. But there are many scriptures in the Bible that says we are to judge one another. If I do not judge you, I'm not fulfilling my duty as a Christian in the body of Christ towards you. If I do not come in and show you the way of God more accurately, I'm not doing what God expects of me. I'm not actually doing that. So people, people say, but you, you, you can't judge me by my actions. But actually the Bible is saying, yes, I can. How do you know that the root of a tree is healthy? It bears fruit, right? <laughs> Maybe if it's a young tree. We've got a few young trees now. I planted a little, a little olive tree. It's very small. It's about yay high. It's very small. And it's starting to make these little flowers, but it's, it's an infant. So it's going to try and produce fruit, and it's going to be really difficult. Who of you remember when you were a young Christian, and you really tried to be a good person, but you just struggled? It's like, I remember going back to my friends, and I just wanted to witness to them. And as they were telling jokes, I just told the most vulgar joke ever, with the worst words. It was like, words, I dropped the P-bomb there, and that was the life that I came out of. I dropped a very chacha word there. And as it came out, I'm like, what did I just say? I'm a Christian. I'm coming here to witness to these people. Some of you are like, I'm a Christian now. I'm a young Christian. I'm producing fruit. You bump your toe and what? Oh, shucks, what did I say? Is it so ingrained in you? You may be producing little fruit, but the point is there is some fruit. It's maybe a little bit. No one's saying that you have to be perfect. Just saying there has to be some semblance of fruit that's being produced in your life. Some semblance of you hear something on a Sunday and we see the effect of that on your life. Some semblance of you reading something in the Bible and actually applying it to your life. There needs to be some semblance, even if you struggle. But if a tree gets older, that tree, if at some stage that tree does not produce olives, what am I going to do? I'm going to chop it down. That, that is a scary thought because that's what the Bible says God will do to us. The Bible says, and I'm sorry, let me just finish my first thought. You say, don't judge me, but actually, I judge a tree by its fruit. I look at the fruit of that tree and I determine whether the root is healthy or not. In the same way, when people look at us, is there something that they can look and say, oh, I think your roots are healthy? Now, we need to be those type of people. Now, obviously, you get good people in this world, and, uh, and that's, that's something else, right? But I'm speaking about a godly thing, a godly goodness, meaning you go from where you were moving forward. The question, I read this from C.S. Lewis the other day. He asked that same question. And like, if Oprah Winfrey were to get saved now, Oprah Winfrey is a better person than most of you. <laughs> Probably me as well. She's, she's a nice person. She gives away stuff. That's nice of her. You get a car. You get a car. You get a... I mean, she's like that. I can't even do that. I'm not that giving as she is. She's a nice person. C.S. Lewis was saying, it's, it doesn't, your niceness is not determining, actually. He's saying, the question is not, how nice is she and how nice are you compared to her, and shouldn't a Christian be nicer than her? He's saying, no, the question is, if Oprah Winfrey should get saved, she should start becoming nicer. 
And if you get saved, you should start becoming nicer. But everyone should start showing the fruit of repentance, actually. I'm going to read this one scripture, then we're going to quickly go through James 2, because no time is catching up with us. But there won't be an altar call. Your altar call is going to be tomorrow morning when you wake up and apply the word. (laughs) No prayer tonight. You know, some things you should not pray about. This message you should not pray about. You should go look at your notes from the past couple of Sundays. Listen to an altar sermon. Go look at the sermons that were, um, that were preached at the 412 conference and ask, what am I going to do about this? That's your response, actually. Um, John 15. I just want to, this is the warning for us. Um, from verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear, bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's saying, yes, you need to abide. There needs to be faith. But the faith, the abiding in God, needs to produce fruit. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone, listen to this, listen to this warning. And this is a warning for us. I felt it from God as a warning for us. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. What does that sound like? It sounds like God's going to give you a tap on the finger and say, you should have listened more. <laughs> to me, I'm, I'm only saying what I read here. I feel like there's a point. If we harden our hearts enough, if God speaks to us too many times, and we keep hardening our hearts and we do not listen, there's a point in which God will cut off the branch. It will wither, it will die. And you will not be with him anymore. So the Bible says, today if you hear the voice of God, do not resist him like when they were in the wilderness. God is speaking to you. Listen, this is, I want to pause here. This is really serious. God speaks to you. If you are not listening, you will keep speaking, but I can't tell you how long. At some point he's going to say, I've spoken and I've spoken and I've spoken. You've leaned only on faith, but you are not applying the word. You're not mixing what I'm telling you and faith together and applying it. There's only that much. God says, my grace has covered you till this far. Tell you a personal story quickly. Probably going to go until 10 too. Personal story quickly, or I might just end with this. Um, uh, Those of you who have been part of the church would know, about two years ago, I came out with a sexual sin that I was struggling with in my life, and pornography. And I don't feel ashamed of it, really, I don't, because I, I feel like God has done a massive work in me. And for so many times, God spoke to me about those, that thing. And I thought, no, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to sort it out. I know I should speak to people, but I can't. I'm just going to sort it out in myself. I tried that so many times, really tried. And um, that went on for a long time. When I watched the orientation, Josh Chen's orientation, there's a portion there where it speaks about eldership. Now, remember, I'm an elder. And in there, Andrew speaks about pornography, and he speaks about when an elder sins, that elder needs to be rebuked publicly, which is what happened to me. I stood up before the church, repented publicly before you, repented publicly before the entire Josh chain. And um, every time that happened, many times, I would actually walk out of the hall because of the conviction of God that sat on my heart, but I was not willing to listen and do something with the Word of God because it cost me too much. What if obeying God costs your relationship? If that relationship is from God, He will raise it up again. 
You don't have to do it in your own power. You cannot, listen to me, listen, you cannot sleep around if you are a lover of God. You cannot. You can't. You cannot go as far as you want, but just don't sleep around, but we're doing a lot of things. You cannot. You can't. You cannot watch pornography and stay in your sin. God is covering you up until a point, but you need to stop. You need to come into the light. You cannot. I'm not preaching legalism here. I'm preaching the word of God here. You cannot. You cannot lie and keep on lying. You cannot steal and keep on stealing. You can't. We all make mistakes, sure, but you can't carry on. Listen to the word of God today. Listen and obey. Obey. Obedience is not that feeling that you're getting in your heart. It's when you pick up your phone and say, I need to speak to you. It's when you say, can I have coffee? I need to repent. That's obedience. That's obedience. Let me just read this last part for us. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Don't say, ah, I believe I'm a Christian. Even the demons believe. Anyway, I'm going to end it there. Go read it by yourself. <laughs> the rest of James 2. Let's, let's stand. Again, as I said, your response, I know the next service is going to probably want to come in almost, but your response is going to be throughout the week. There was incredible words tonight that the one with the, the oral paper, they need to make the same sound. You can't come on a Sunday and be holy on a Sunday. We're not that type of church. Rather come with your cigarettes in your hand. That's better. I'm honest. Come smoke here if you smoke. Don't hide it away. Honestly. We don't want fake people here. That's not what we're after. We're after real people encountering a real God and changing, producing fruit as you encounter that God. Don't be fake here. Your obedience is going to be when you start living for Christ, not only Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when you live this thing out going forward. Can I ask you, please listen. Please don't let this conviction fade. It is going to fade. Make a decision now. Not, oh, that was a good word. What am I going to do with this word? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to do? Who do I need to witness to? Whatever it is that God is speaking to you, make a commitment now. I will do it. And as you walk out here, say to someone, this is what I want to do so that they can keep you accountable. Let's close our eyes.